Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Transworld Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We have a great show for you today. We are talking about the very touchy subject of family transfers. Yeah, family business transfers happen a lot. I mean, most small businesses, Main Street businesses, especially businesses we deal with are family operations, husband and wife teams, father and son. Um, they become a whole family affair sometimes. Yeah, we've seen that a lot. And I, listen, we are a part of a family business at United Franchise Group. Uh, I've been, uh, my family history in the guitar business was a multi-generational uh, guitar business that eventually folded, uh, which you know, really uh, on a look back, uh, you got to wonder if they were not the greatest business people, but, you know, more craftsmen. And and those issues always come up when you're talking about multi-generational family businesses, whether or not they should be transferred to the next generation. Right. And that's what we're talking about today. We have a, you know, few brave people that are coming on and talking yeah, about yeah, their family yeah. business transfers. Without, uh, without, worrying about whether or not they're going to get into another fight. And it's a very, again, I said it was a touchy subject, but it's very emotional. Uh, there's a lot of, at stake. And, you know, Trans World is here to help you. Right? We have been through this multiple times. We've seen it get very heated. Uh, we have a few good guests today, right? Yeah, we have some great guests today. Actually, um, Aaron Fox, who's also the owner of Trans World North North Boston now, but he comes on and he talks about his multi-generational business that he did with his father. Um, very, very successful business. Um, Aaron worked in the business for a few years before they decided to sell. So he talks about that journey um, of selling, of working with the buyers. Um, you know, his dad's still kind of involved in the deal. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it's an interesting story. It's also a very interesting biz, business, very niche business. Another one of those where you just, you know, you never know. You can make a million dollars a million different ways, right? Yeah, and he didn't want to be involved. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, he's like, he's so happy that he didn't take over that family business. And that's not always the case. We, you interview Peter Berg about one of our most famous uh, family transfer businesses. It was a very large business multiple family members involved, but there were multiple family members not involved. And the parents were super concerned with how they would split up that asset and whether or not the kids could afford the asset. Right. And I think that's the key is sometimes in these generation transfers, sometimes the kids don't want the business. And we're seeing yeah, that. Sure. And we're seeing that a lot more um, with the baby boomer to millennial generations. There's just a, a lot different of dynamics going on with culture and values and what they want for their lives. But also, sometimes the kids can't afford the business and it's better for everyone, including that second or third generation, that the business is sold or transferred to a third party. Um, so it's there's a lot of different dynamics going on. So we talked to a lot of business owners that 
you know, they have a business. They're like, oh, well, I've got it lined up. My son, my daughter, my daughter-in-law is going to take over. But sometimes it's worth getting an outside opinion and seeing if that's really the best fit and the best strategy for the entire family. Hey, listen, we've been known to sit down with the family members themselves and talk to them without the parents in the room, whether or not they wanted to be in charge. I had a, a, a paper distribution business, an office supply business, where the uh, parents, very successful, drove S-class Mercedes that were paid for through the business, uh, multi-hundred thousand dollar business, uh, probably almost a half a million dollars worth of profits to both mom and dad. And the son was a, a struggling lawyer, not struggling, but a lawyer up in Manhattan, probably making about $150,000 a year, which is struggling in New York City. And he was a young person, had a young family. And it was really, you know, he said no to his mom and dad, no to his mom and dad. And I got on the phone with him and I said, listen, you need to think about this. This is a business that will make you half a million dollars a year today. And you are up in New York City trying to make partner, working 500 hours a week, and your parents are willing to give you this business. And before I go sell it, and you need to think twice. And he thought about it and he moved out and he took over the business. And, you know, we have cases where that shouldn't have happened, where business owners had the business, passed it along to the kids and it didn't go well. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's the old joke that we talk about is the first generation builds it. The second generation, how's it go? I, I forget it. The second generation. What? I think it's grows it. And then the, and third, the third generation, generation basically just buries it. it. Yeah. yeah. It's something like that. Yeah. And it, I forget what the statistics are, but it's over 90% of businesses do not survive the third generation. And I, I don't know if that's the third generation's fault. I think it's business models get old. Yeah. Business models get old. It's look, it's very, very hard to achieve success for a long time, time period. I mean, we're sitting in front of the trans world 40th anniversary sign. We're now in our 41st year, right. which is an incredible achievement. I mean, for businesses to make it this long and into third generations, you're talking about approaching a hundred years sometimes. Right. It's very, very difficult to do. Yeah. My, my family's guitar business Favilla uh, lasted from 1890 to approximately 1980, about 90 years made it through two generations. Uh, but you know, there was a lot of mess. I wrote a book about it on Amazon. If you, if you want to help me make uh, $2 a month, uh, from my Amazon royalties, I, I think I made, book, I think I made 15 bucks last year, but it's, it, a great story. It, it's, it, it's a nice story. And if you're a guitar collector, that's what we wrote it for and a little bit of family legacy, but it didn't survive the second generation because of the business model. I mean, you know, the, uh, Japanese were jumping into the into the guitar business, make wonderful guitars. The wood supply was dry, drying up. Uh, the Beatles had uh, and the British invasion had come to America, and Leo Fender and uh, you know Gibson had come out with the Les Paul guitar and really kind of undercut you know the folk guitar uh, business. And my family was there, flat footed, not ready to make electric guitars, not ready to deal with the uh, with the um, with the supply issues and certainly not ready to compete with Japan. And all those things combined just kind of ended it. Yeah. Well, it happens. And this is not a um, U.S. thing and it's not a U.S. show. We actually have Michael Ziff from the U.K. too talking about their family business and the transition, um, but very large family business in the shoe industry. And Andy, you interviewed him. Yeah. Stylo Shoes, uh, they were uh, before World War uh, II, 
in in England, uh, grew it from literally a single store to hundreds of stores. He tells the story well. Eventually picked up brands like Buster Brown and some other things. And he talks about uh, being involved in the family business. And what happens in some of these family businesses that grow very large, and you'll you'll hear this from Michael, is that family family members get jobs. And they might have jobs that they're not really, really, or they get overpaid. And we had that uh, with another business that Tom Jones handled in the marine industry. There was three siblings and one of the siblings was basically home and the, and making $250,000 a year. Well, guess what he wanted to do? He didn't want to sell the business. Yeah. He's making 250. And then there was a 70 year old uh, sister who was running the business every single day. And she's like, I want out. And at the end, the brother pulled the rug on the whole thing. Uh, they wound up not going to the closing table, complete meltdown of a, of a deal. We jump in, we interview the family members. We basically send a strong letter to that family member saying, you're, you, you know, you're hurting your own family. They want to retire. And uh, a month later they called us and did the deal. But it was, it, it, you know, it does get ugly, but we're here to help you call us in. We could be the bad guys. We could yeah. be the good guys. And, and in the truest sense of the word, trans world is an intermediary for these things. Right. Right. And I, I mean, at the end of the day, having a third party involved in any type of family decision that involves money, that involves business is a good idea. So if you're sitting in a family business, which I'm sure if you're listening to the show, most of you are, I mean, as Andy said, he's, he's been in a family business. I'm building a family business. You know, we, we all have the personal experience, but we hope you get some takeaways out of the stories today for our listeners. Um, and if you have any questions, we are here to help. We are here to help. It's going to be a great show. Transworld Business Advisors is the world's largest business brokerage and mergers and acquisitions firm with over 500 brokers in nearly 200 offices worldwide. Transworld's team handles thousands of business sales every year. To be connected with a qualified business broker or learn more about the buying and selling process, visit tworld.com forward slash the deal board or call 888-719-9098. Hey everybody, we're back and I have a very special guest, Aaron Fox, and we are talking about family transfers of businesses and whether or not, you know, kids should buy their or go into their family business. And Aaron has a background in it. You have Aaron's uh, parents had a business and, and, you know, it's just not sometimes the best fit. And we see this happen a lot in transactions. So Aaron, welcome. Let's jump into the subject why don't you tell a little bit about your story? Hi, Andy. Thanks. Excited to talk about it a little bit. It's uh, family businesses are one of those really fun things that we all grow to love. And um, just to kind of clarify a little bit, I would have been third generation in a family business. Wow. So it was the writing was kind of on the wall of, hey, we've got 110 years operations. Your uh, destiny is predetermined. And um I had other ideas and it involved getting out and running for the hills. <laughs> yeah, well, we see that a lot. I mean, we we've handled a lot of family uh, businesses that they just really didn't want to uh, they didn't want to pass it along or they didn't think the kids would do well. And that's certainly a danger, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, there's a lot of 
like relationships that are at stake and there's a that whole family legacy that's attached to it there's a ton of pressure and quite frankly looking at it and you're looking at a hundred and you know hundred hundred and ten year old family business I was kind of step back and I'm well is it going the right direction you know i undoubtedly was qualified. I undoubtedly had the experience. I undoubtedly had the relationships with suppliers that I could keep it going just like it was at a status quo. But was that really what the goal was? Was the goal, you want to see a grow, your business is growing or it's dying. So would I come in with the vim and vigor that was going to take it to that next level? Yeah, certainly, you know, uh, people are very successful and sometimes multi-generational uh, family businesses. Uh, but we certainly see a lot of businesses die in the third generation. Uh, and it, uh, we'll pull some statistics and talk about it at the beginning, you know, talk about it uh, later on. But, you know, uh, one of the things is uh, the owners don't really get the exit that they want. Like, so the departing generation wants the, you know, wants their money sometimes. Yeah. If, if they didn't make it along the way. No, and that, that honestly brings up a great point. Uh, when we were looking at it and we were, you know, looking at uh, family that was getting to that point that they wanted to retire, uh, I'll be honest, I was fairly ignorant to the acquisition process. And I looked at it and my family was looking at it as, okay, you take over this business and you basically pay me a pension. And that's how we were looking at it. Well, I didn't know if that was best for everybody. Right. You know, looking back at it, if, you know, looking back at the business, you have these opportunities now. I mean, heck, if I had known, now, known, known then what I know now, you could have had a lot more fun with it. But you, you, you don't realize that there are these financing op opportunities that you can help and you can work with a uh, business broker or a business coach to actually structure something that would be a uh, – buyout situation where the family would actually go away, which is the main detriment to why you don't want a family business. Or you could, you know, do something else where you build it up, put a little bit more capital into it, modernize some of the processes and get that, get it really ramped up and ready for an acquisition. Right. And we've talked about this a lot. You know, again, it's kind of stepping back and seeing if the kids are the right, you know, fit for the business and they might not have the profile to buy the business. It's, a, it's about the finances and what, you know, the expectations of the parting generation is. And sometimes as you and I know now being in this business for years, uh, the, the first time the seller comes to the, to the table, they have an inflated value of what their business is. And I've seen that happen. I saw a young woman bought buy a business from her father and really overpaid. And then she wanted to move on and start a family and and she couldn't sell it for what she had bought it for. So that that that's certainly hard feelings. And then, you know, like we said, but if somebody does want to sell to the younger generation, Transworld can help you there too. We and and we have that expertise. Oh, absolutely. And it's a it makes the whole transaction a lot more interesting and a lot more business-like when you actually have that third party that's involved in it that's, you know, not a known uh, partner to the business or to the family. You know, you've got your great relationships with accountants. You've got your great relationships with attorneys that you've used. Bringing in this new 
semi-neutral um, group that's kind of looking at how to help you structure the deal, how to help make sure that the ownership transition goes through is it's a great discussion point. And sometimes it opens some real eyes with who is actually going to be in control after the business is sold. Yeah, we've been in some meetings where uh, it was literally disclosed at the meeting that the, the all of a sudden the kid piped up and says, really, I don't want this business. You know, mom and dad, if you feel that you can sell this business uh, for what, you know, the business broker is telling you, do it. I, I want to move on and do something else. And we've seen that a few times uh, in our in our in our history. But, you know, what we try to do at Transworld is first we'll value the business and give everybody an expectation what the marketplace would bring. And then it's up to the, you know, the family, whether or not they want to sell it to the kids and whether or not there's financing available or if they're they're going to provide the seller financing or earn out and, uh, you know, and and see if the kids uh, have the aptitude and the attitude and the, you know, the willingness to move forward. But, you know, sounds like you made the right decision. Oh, without question. I look at, you know, looked at what we did with the business, where it's at now. Everyone's happy. The business is very, very, uh, very, very strong, still operating strong, still has huge market presence. My dad has his shiny convertible that he races around in and um, <laughs> makes a lot of noise in. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's great. I mean, you know, again, uh, we, we are good deals for good people. And, you know, sometimes the good people aren't in the business and, they, you know, it's not right to sell the business kids. And uh, we have some other stories coming up here in this episode uh, that I think will be eye opening to uh, people who want to consider a family transfer. And if somebody wanted to talk to you, uh, either the parents or the children or the generational kids wanted to talk to you about family transfers, what's the best way to get in touch with you? I love my cell phone. Pick up the phone. Let's talk. Yeah. 781-773-8922. Great. Aaron, thanks so much for being on today. Thanks, Andy. Hey, Andy, do you know what time it is? It's time for our deal of the week. Deal of the week. Sold. Welcome back, everybody. And today we're talking about family businesses and family business transitions. And we have uh, a special guest with us, Peter Berg, and he's with Transworld Business Advisors in Fort Lauderdale. And he's got a great deal of the week story to tell us about family business transfers, right? Thank you, Jess. Yeah, I've got an interesting story. It goes back about 10 years or so. And uh, it was a large transaction company doing, you know, north of 60 million in revenue and quite valuable. <clears throat> and I met with the owners, a lovely couple in their mid-70s. They had started the company maybe 40 years prior. And they had three, uh, they had four grown children in the business, including a 50-year-old son who was the president of the company. And then a couple of kids in their 40s and then a, a daughter, 37. They all were executives. They ran marketing. They ran um, logistics. Uh, one was, you know, in another executive position and then the C the president, I sat with the parents and they said to me, very important. Our kids cannot know that this business is for sale. Says so up for an interesting dynamic. Moving Absolutely. Forward. Now I, we got, I got the engagement and started marketing the business Spent uh, three or four months marketing, packaging and marketing the business and got a buyer. 
And we're talking about, you know, a large transaction. At the time, it was, uh, it, it actually had the record. It closed in 2007. It had the record until last year as the number one commission in the history of Transworld Florida. Mm-hmm. So somebody broke my record. So I'm looking to break Regain it back. that record, yeah. Regain the, re- the record. But, um, so it has a good ending, the story. However, I couldn't let the kids know. Now, I'm, I have to be at the business. They had to do a full audit. There was a lot of stuff going on. And I was there, and I was dressed in, 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 a, in, a, in a shirt with a tie, not a, not a jacket, but, but a tie. And my cover story was that I was an insurance agent. Mm-hmm. So the family introduced me in the beginning of the process as, a, as an insurance agent. And I was there. Nobody bothered me. One day I show up and there had been a horrific storm. Oh no. <laughs> at one of these really bad storms where it rains seven inches in two hours and it breaks all records and the streets are all flooded. And I show up and the one of the brothers, not the one who's the CEO, but like the next in charge, he's like executive vice president. He grabs me by the arm. Mm-hmm. He says, You need to come with me. And he's taking me into the warehouse. And now they owned the building. It was a 75,000-foot building. 30,000 was refrigerated. 10,000 was frozen. There was a food importing type business, fine foods. Yep. And I knew what was happening, so I hadn't time to think. Yeah. He takes me. We go down. We through the whole building and down the hallway, and then we go to the warehouse, and we go down the stairs, and we walk into the warehouse. And up on the corner of the warehouse, the roof – there had been a huge hole in the roof and water was pouring in and there was this major damage. Oh no. <laughs> now I'm the insurance guy. Right. So you're, you're there to solve the problem yeah. now. <laughs> so I said to him, Bob, let's say Bob, Bob, I said, look, I'm an actuary, mm. but I will get the claims people on this right away. Right. Good pivot. That was a really good pivot. <laughs> yeah. But I have to admit I had like three or four minutes to figure out what the hell am I going to do? Yeah. You know, what am I yeah. going to say? What the heck am I going to do? Because I know what's happening. There was, it was one of those storms of this, you know, hundred year storms kind of things. And I knew it, what the problem was. So flash forward now. Um, and of course somebody, it was like, I was from Zurich or one of those companies. So right. sure enough, somebody came and, you know, took care of the problem. Flash forward. Two, three months later, the deal closes. Mm-hmm. And this is a big deal. This is, right. you know, big numbers, as big as big numbers as, as you get. And there's a meeting. And all of the four kids are called into the meeting mm-hmm. along with their spouses. Oh, wow. Now, each of the kids owned two and a half percent. Okay. So they're getting something out of the deal. Yeah. And the parents own 90%. And... They said, and their family attorney was there, mm-hmm. like the the trust, wills, yep. you know, family attorney that an old guy that's been with the family like fifty years, right? And the attorney, the transaction attorney that worked on our on the deal, and I'm there, and they said, hey, you know, it's like, hey, pops, what's up? You know, why this whole big meeting? Yeah. Said, well, first of all, uh, Peter Berg is not. The insurance, insurance guy. <laughs> he's he's the business broker, and we've sold the company, and it's done, and 
the new, you know, here's who the new owners are and here's the whole story. Right. That was a really interesting day. I'm sure. I mean, you hear a lot about the employees not knowing, right? But it's, it's different versus employees versus children and employees and executives in the business. But we're talking adult children between the ages of 37 and 50. We're right. not talking about, you know, college student type children. You know, right. I get that, right? Yep. They don't know one thing or the other about the business. They right. just know their parents make a bunch of money. They don't really know where it comes from. Right. But these are adult children in the business. Running the business. Running the business. And it was kept a complete secret for over a year. A complete wow. blindside. But you said it has a good ending, right? Well, so the good ending, the two parts of it. First of all, the transaction closed. Right. Um, it was big money, including the sale of the real estate. The timing was early 2007. So you don't get better timing, honestly, okay. right? The business, they were in the business of selling fine foods to white tablecloth restaurants. Oh, so really good timing, you know, okay. considering what's going to happen two years later. Like stuff that the chef uses in the back, not, not stuff that's on the table, but stuff that is used in the cooking of the ingredients, you know, of the meals. Well, within a year, the value of the real estate, within within say 18 months, the value of the real estate was probably half of what we got for it. Mm -hmm. And the value of the business was, I mean, it went from making millions to not making anything because wow. all the customers were fine dining restaurants. Well, you go back to 2008, 2009. Yeah. Nobody was going no. to those restaurants. No, it was really hard, especially in South Florida. I mean, it was a very right. hard hit area. Right. Now the buyer was a billion-dollar company. So the buyer had the wherewithal to survive the recession and come out strong. Right. So they, the value of their asset dropped, but the business- But over viable. time. Yeah. I mean, it's this is now 12, 13. You know, the business is better than ever. Right. But for the sellers, the timing was perfect. So you never know. We're in a, we're in a good market right now, but you don't know when the good times are going to end. Such and point. looking back, you can say that they, within three months, because really the, the summer of 07 was the peak and then it went down. The stock right. market went from 14 to six over the next 18 months. Yep. So you never know where you're going to be. We got, you know, the markets are good now. Everything is good now. And so when you're, if you bring a good offer to your sellers, remember this story, not, yep. not so much, I mean, the, the, the dynamics of keeping it from the family are interesting. Right. But the timing of the sale was perfect. Right. I'd like to take credit for that, but it was perfect. Yeah. This is a great story, Peter, and thank you for sharing it. You're right. It's interesting with the family dynamic, but I think the major lesson out of that is, you know, sell, you know, sell not at the top, but as close yeah. to it as you can. You never know where the top is, right? But right now we're pretty, we're pretty darn close. Yeah, we're coming off. It's been a 10-year expansion and the expansions don't last forever. Mm -hmm. And if your seller, in this case, they, they were 75. So the, the thing was, if they had personally, if they had had to wait until two, three years ago. Yeah, now they're probably now, pretty much now. Yeah, but they're 82, 83. Yeah. One of them had health issues. So they... Couldn't wait. No. And so if you miss the market, now, I mean, if you're 60 years old and you missed the market. Okay. You've got time to recover for another cycle, yeah. you know, hopefully. But if you're in, you know, your mid seventies, you got a health issue. It's time to go. 
It's time to go. It's time to go. Well, thank you so much, Peter, for coming on the show and sharing. Um, Peter specializes in some of the larger transactions. He's been with Transworld for a very long time. My 20th year. 20th year. Congratulations. But if anyone wants to chat with you further, Peter, how can they get in touch with you? Well, they can can reach me by email at pberg at transworldma.com or that's probably the best. All right. And we'll drop that into the show notes. Thank you again, Peter. And thanks for sharing. Okay, Jess. Thanks. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And we are talking about family business. And there's no one better to talk about family business than Michael Ziff. Uh, Michael's uh, family had a very large business in the UK. And I will let him tell the story. I happen to have read the book about his father. And so uh, I know a lot about it, or it's sometimes I think more than your kids, Michael. But welcome, Michael, uh, back to the show. And let's let's talk about your family's business a little bit. So our business started in uh, just after the First World War. Uh, started by my great-grandfather and uh, great-aunt, and uh, they grew the business with uh, their brothers and sisters. They had come from Eastern Europe um, at the back end of the previous century, um, and uh, they set up a footwear business. It was called Stylo, uh, and it grew um, up until the start of the Second World War when they had about 130 stores, um, they were selling shoes mainly and fashion products um, around access fashion accessories. Um, at the end, at the end of the Second World War, they'd lost about half the chain due to the bombing. And um, about 1948, um, the next generation started to come into the business, which would have included uh, my dad and uh, his uh, brothers. Uh, and his cousins, um, and they then grew the business um, to the early 60s um, when they had built up to, again, uh, to about uh, 180 shops. Mm. And at that time, um, there was mergers going on in the shoe industry, and the biggest chain that was being created uh, was a company called Sears, that owned British Shoe Corporation, that owned some very famous brands, uh, Saxone, Dolcis, amongst those. Um, and it was run by a guy called Sir Charlie Claw. He also owned Selfridges, William Hill. Um, he owned um, jointly the Pan American building uh, with a Jack, guy called Jack Cotton in New York. So he was a very famous entrepreneur um, and he was our major competitor. Um, and he was after a company called Barrett Shoes, which my father also went after, and we bought that business. Um, and that took us up to about 300 shops. Mm. Um, and then we, over the next period, uh, from 1964, they also had factories as well, um, and they had a children's wear business, which we sold to Mothercare, Um they had a toy business, which I'm not sure what happened with that, but it was it was a, um, a rag bag of businesses, which they then sort of whittled down just back to the shoe business, and they kept the 250 best shops. And it was generally went along pretty well until the early 80s, by which time uh, I And had, you were in it. I was then in the business. And we faced a very difficult period in the early 80s 
where um, we were running three businesses, um, Barrett's, Stylo, and a, a discount business called Valdis. Equivalent here would have been Payless. And um, they were all run by different members of the family, all in three different places, whereas our competitors were running three different brands, six different brands, ten different brands, all operating in one warehouse and one distribution business, um, whereas we were, had the overheads of three. And it was plainly obvious when I joined the business that the only thing we should be doing is knocking heads together and coming under one roof. And now to do that in a family business where each person was their own boss and had their own team of people wasn't going to be the happiest thing for everybody. Right. But um, we, we, we bought a new warehouse in Bradford. We gradually got everybody to agree that it would be best to centralise it and period from about 1987 when we got going through till 1996 um, and there was a big recession in 91, 92, we really sort of started to take off and the business started to grow. And by the time we got to 96, we got up to about 500 shops. Um, we ran one business, Barrett's, we closed all the periphery businesses down. We then bought another business called Bacon Shoes which for a group of Jewish guys wasn't necessarily a very kosher business. <laughs> we changed that to Priceless, um, and we modelled it on Payless, interesting, and um, we then started to grow the two businesses. And in '96, British Shoe Corporation came to us and asked us, would we like to consider buying their business? So the great mighty British Shoe, which was 10 times our size, had gone through a difficult period. We'd grown... And all of a sudden, um, there was a big opportunity. And we bought, at that time, um, a brand called Hush Puppy, which is obviously well-known, uh, Saxone and Dulcis, and we merged them into Barrett's. And we then started to run um, and grow the business. And we also had a sports business at that time. Um, so by the time we got towards the late 90s, we had about a 1,000 shops, we were turning over £250 million. Uh, our peak year, we'd made about £12, £13 million. We'd been generally pretty profitable. And um, we then started to face some very difficult situation. All of a sudden, this very large business, which we have become, sure. had a lot of family in the business still, some of whom were getting on in life. And we needed to consider bringing professionals in, they didn't want to. And in 2000, we got an offer for the business. And I actually wanted to take the offer. Right. Uh, my father, who um, his immediate reaction was, you've got a brother who's running, we had a real estate business as well, which is a family business. Um, and <coughs> his view was um, that uh, we shouldn't be selling it. I had three sons. I said to him, they don't want to come into the business. Um, they won't want to come into the business. He said, how do you know? I said, well, because they shouldn't be coming in to another, to the family business, enough with the family business. He didn't agree. Uh, we also had a particular type of share called voting shares. And uh, he said, if I wanted to give up my voting shares, the person who does it, basically, it's all in. The way it worked was everybody was in or everybody was out but you couldn't start dipping in and out. 
Um, and unfortunately, we didn't proceed with the offer. And over the next 10 years, whilst we kept the business going, it became a very, very tough ground, a battleground. The barrier for entry became easier and easier for people. Right. More people were opening up. Uh, it's not the case now. And by the time we got to 2008, nine, um, we had a business which um, had had um, a lot of debt. In 2001, our debt had been about 80 million pounds, mm. which was serious money. Yeah. And the problem at that point in time for a family business was not only us, but it was a bank's problem as well. Right. By the time we got to 2008, the debt was down to three million pounds of bank loan and a 30 million debenture. So it had come right down. Nice. At that point, the problem wasn't the bank's problem. The problem was our problem. Uh -huh. And banks in true base that decided enough's enough and um, it was time for change. And they pulled the cord on us. Um, the marketplace, as we know, in 2008 also um, yeah, changed. Difficult changed. We had um, a debenture which uh, had very complicated funding around it. Um, and we then went through a period from 2008 to 2013 where it was death by a thousand cuts. Uh, unfortunately, we decided in 2013 to call it a day. Um, the good news is today I'm the master franchise for Great Britain, uh, selling other businesses. But the experience that I had in the family business makes it very interesting in working with other family businesses and talking to people about selling their business. Yeah, I mean, listen, you went through it all, right? So you you went through two generations. It was your great-grandfather, then your, then your father, then you. And you decided, uh, or at least you foresaw, that it was going to be very, very difficult for the fourth generation to jump in, which was very good insight of not only in the personalities, but the size of the business. I mean, at some point, we see this a lot in family businesses. It gets much too large to try to transfer to the next yeah. generation. And and there is a feeling in family businesses that they have the God-given right to have positions uh, of authority in the business when they don't necessarily have the experience. And I had that with cousins, you know, cousins who were running warehouse or cousins who thought they could run IT and all the rest of it. You know, they, they didn't have the experience of many uh, executives today whom we should have employed would have run the thing a lot better than we did. Right. And I, I did read that in the book and it certainly seemed very complicated. Again, once the business gets that large and that many family people get in, obviously someone's not going to be up to their task or up to their position and uh, the business is going to suffer. And it sounded like you did a good job of taking it all the way through and, you know, outside forces uh, and outside marketplace changes, which is another reason why people might want to sell when the going's good. Yeah. I mean, you know, our real estate business is a family business. It's amusing you ask this question because, yeah, my brother's here in uh, with me. Um, we're not, we, we, we didn't plan to be together. Uh, and he, we were having virtually this conversation yesterday afternoon outside Starbucks in Aventura um, about the next generation and what happens with shares and where shares get passed down to the next generation to family members who don't even live in the same country uh, and don't even understand what the business is about. 
and there's no allegiance and no wish for them to have any interest in that business. They get a dividend, um, but they don't have a long-term view about keeping an interest in the business um, because their interest is completely different. Right, and so you're going to have to decide whether or not to actually try to force the issue and try to pass down those shares or, you know, cash out. Yeah. And so a lot of families come to that. And obviously Michael is very well first at understanding family dynamics and understanding a large uh, family business. Uh, so, uh, the, you know, we have a lot of people at Transworld like that and we're here to help you. The, the, the big area where we can help people, I believe, is family conflict. Because in family businesses, you do get this whole area of conflict. And probably the best way around of dealing with this is the sale of the business in, very, in many of the cases. Um, and whilst people at the beginning may say, no, it's not, reality of it is, too often it, businesses struggle because members of the family get involved in into internecine war and, and they take their eye off the ball and they're not running the business. Yeah, we've seen that a lot and uh, we have some good examples of that. Uh, Michael, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you to talk about their family business? So my email address is uh, mziff at tworlduk.com. Great. Thanks so much for coming on the show and telling your family story. It's an incredible story. Thank you very much. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for listing of the week. Welcome back, everybody. And today for our listing of the week, Melissa Patel from Transworld Business Advisors of DC Metro is joining me. She's our managing partner there. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you for having me. Great. So tell me a little bit, you have a great listing for sale. Tell us a little bit about this business. We do. Uh, it's an optimo- uh, optometric practice. Uh, what's unique about it, that it that it only serves high-end clients. Uh, so they have really nice frames. The build-out is beautiful. Um, the owner has been there for the last 16 years. Um, he really knows a lot of the doctors in the area. They refer a ton of business to him, and he's been able to, to really make a good living for himself. Uh, he's not an optometrist. Um, he hires an optometrist, a few, and they come in a few times a week. So he's really the front office. It's truly a retail business that he's built there, and uh, he's done very well for himself there. That's, that's great. Sounds like a really good practice. But what we were talking about earlier is there's actually a lot of opportunity in this industry for buyers that are looking to make an acquisition, right? Absolutely. So uh, optometry is a very fragmented market, uh, fragmented industry, if you will. There are a lot of independent owners, uh, small businesses that really thrive um, within the industry, even though there's some large, you know, lens crafters, um, Mr. Eye Doctor, but, you know, patients are still willing to support the local business owner on the, you know, the smaller optometry practices. So it's still a great business and a great industry to be in for uh, solo entrepreneurs. That's great. So tell us a little bit about the numbers for this specific listing. You know, what is the business listed for and what is the SDE? Sure. The business is listed for 270000 Uh The owner has put in new, uh, some new equipment in there. Um, so it's, it's a great price. It's a great price point, um, especially with the trade sheriffs and everything coming through. His SDE uh, for the business is around 120, 125000 And sales, he's been doing consistently about two seventy five a year. 
Awesome. Great. So right, right about that two times earnings, like, like we talk about on a lot of valuations. Yeah. Well, Melissa, it sounds like a good listing. If someone is interested in talking to you about purchasing this practice or even working with you on another business sale in the DC area, how can they get a hold of you? Sure. They could call me at 202-800-4060 or shoot me an email at Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A dot P-A-T-E-L at T-World.com. Great. And we'll drop that information into the show notes for the listeners as well. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning into the show today. If you like the podcast, share it with your friends on social media. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions, would like to appear, or have suggestions for topics for the show, get in contact with us through our website, The Deal Board Podcast. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.